the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. South Africans are emigrating in ever greater numbers, particularly those with the skills and the wherewithal to do so. As the country faces almost daily load shedding, the frustration of living in an increasingly failing state is pushing more and more people to explore options abroad. Many affluent South Africans are looking to move money offshore to safeguard their wealth, especially now that Regulation 28 of the Pensions Fund Act has bumped up the limits to offshore exposure across total portfolios from 30 to 45%. One of the more interesting developments in recent years is the emergence of private banks straddling traditional finance and cryptos. One such bank is Zappo Bank, which is regulated in the UK and the EU. It caters to a market of crypto savvy and increasingly mobile savers. With remote working now an entrenched business practice around the world, this has made financial immigration a viable option for millions of people. And as it turns out, it's not just South Africans looking at trying their hand abroad. It's a worldwide phenomenon. 45 countries have created digital nomad visas in recent years. Well, joining us from Gibraltar to discuss this is Seamus Rocker, who is CEO of Zappo Private Bank. Welcome, Seamus. It seems financial emigration is a worldwide phenomenon, but I would imagine the trend is away from weak currency countries like South Africa, Venezuela, Argentina, to stronger currency countries like the US and Europe. Is that the only factor that's driving this trend? And is it in fact a global trend? Hi, Kieran. Um, Thanks for having me. I think it is. I think there are a whole uh, range of factors that are leading to remote work or digital nomads, as they're often uh, known, to be on the increase. And with that, uh, people are looking for different ways to not only to be able to work, but to get paid and, and also thinking about you know, wealth protection. How can I protect my overall wealth and avoid being at the mercy of you know, plunging currencies, devaluation, uh, and the rest of it. So I, I think it's it's a fascinating phenomenon. It's something that we've seen over the last you know, five or six years. Well, really, the, the birth of it was the financial crisis in 2008 uh, when positive easing started. So I think we've got a whole range of factors in terms of, you know, we had a, a very long period of a massive supply of, of cheap money and lots of printing of money, particularly during during COVID. Um, COVID also accelerated this idea of uh, being able to work remotely rather than being tied down to, to a desk in the city where you're from. And also crypto has enabled this idea of, well, I can transmit value very quickly and very easily across the world. Uh, and as a result, I can, I'm more in control of, of my, my money. But, you know, with inflation and the state of the, the world economy, my sense is that you know most emerging currencies will will start to see a, a devaluation, and as a result, that's going to increase the level of people who who are looking to to put their wealth into stronger currencies, and people who are looking to perhaps uh, um, you know have uh, accounts offshore uh, or look for remote work uh, and get paid in a, in a currency that's not their domestic currency. So I think the advent of what we've seen. Uh, in terms of you know world economics and and, and behaviors on, on working practices is leading to all of this coming together and my view is that it's just going to get amplified over the next couple of years i mean we've spoken about people migrating from weak currency 
countries to, you know, stronger currency countries. But Cape Town is, in South Africa has become a popular destination for remote workers. So it seems there are people earning U.S. dollars who are more than happy to place themselves in South Africa, notwithstanding our crippling load shedding and the other negatives about being in this country. Are you seeing financial immigration from richer to poorer countries like that, where people come from the United States or Europe to South Africa or other places and maybe in South America? Absolutely. We see it every day and we see it even with our own staff. We are a remote company. So all of our workforce, all 200 people, are based in over 50 countries. And um, and the appeal for them to work for a, for a company like Zappa is the fact that they can work from, from anywhere. So if you're earning uh, US dollars and we pay in, in US dollars because we're US dollar funded, we're a US dollar denominated bank, but you're living in, in Cape Town, in the example that you've given, you know, the the way of life and the lifestyle in, in Cape Town, even with the load shedding, is appealing. You know, you've got nice weather, you know, South Africa, Cape Town in particular, is a, is a beautiful place. But if you're earning rand, your wealth is devaluing. If you're earning dollars, then all of a sudden living there becomes much more appealing. So I think with with financial immigration, there's also an age demographic. You know, I think as you as you get a little bit older, you have a little bit more wealth. You know, this idea of emigrating your finances to places like Switzerland is, is more of a reality if you're a high net worth individual. But for most of us, for the sort of the mass affluent, as I would call them, you know, somebody who earns maybe $100,000 a year, your accountants, your lawyers, your your doctors, your engineers, your, um, you know, what have you, journalists, what have you. And those kind of salary ranges, you know, Swiss bank account is not within our remit because we don't have $10 million to to be able to afford those uh, those luxury private banks. So from that perspective, you know, if, you, if that's not an option, remote work and, and earning money digitally is is within the remit of most people. And, and that's much more appealing to, you know, your sort of 25 to 35 year olds, I guess your millennials, who won't have that level of wealth, but who are technically savvy enough to not be scared by the idea of remote working and, uh, and being paid by a company that's not in the country where you live. So that gives you huge amounts of flexibility. And like you said at the beginning, you know, about 45 countries have now created digital nomad visas. Why? Because by attracting young talent, you're also attracting a form of investment to the country. You know, these people need to rent apartments. They need to, you know, they go out for dinner. They buy coffees. They, uh, they're going to be spending that money in, in the local economy. So as a result, it becomes incredibly attractive. So, so on the one hand, you're going to see people that you know worried about devaluation, are worried about the economy, and they're looking for ways to protect their wealth. For the ultra high net worth individuals, you've got the traditional private banks. For the most of us, that's not an option, and that's that's why we created Zappa because we think there's a gap there in the market for the mass affluent to to give them the same service as a private bank, uh, but without the need to be uh, a millionaire. Okay, I, w- I want to just talk about how you straddle this bridge between traditional finance and crypto. So the the view that we have from the mainstream banks is there's a fair amount of hostility towards cryptos. Maybe they don't understand it or they perceive that it's possibly something that's going to eat their lunch eventually. But you don't have that view. You kind of embrace this. So explain how this works in practice and and what kind of crypto services you do offer. Zappa started in in 2013 and we, we only focused on Bitcoin. So uh, back in those days, the, the security of the Bitcoin was the, the main focus in the market. And, and being able to get your hands on Bitcoin was just not, not particularly easy. So that was really the birth of, of Zappa. But we knew from a, 
very early stage that you know, to be able to make Bitcoin accessible, you would have to bridge it with traditional finance because otherwise, how do you how do you get access to Bitcoin? You know, to, if you want to exchange South African rand to dollars, you can you can do that, but you do that through a financial intermediary. So we believe that well, financial services will always be regulated. If, if Bitcoin is a store of value and if, and if it's to be perceived as a as a currency and and, and and the ability to transmit it around the world, it needs to be regulated. So we actively sought to be regulated from day one. So as a result, we've always believed in this idea of, you know, regulating the crypto side uh, and bridging with the financial services. But the other thing that I would add, I guess, is, you know, in terms of traditional financial services, there is an element of fear within about the whole crypto space. And I think that's certainly changed in the last five years, uh, certainly that I've been involved in the crypto space, I've seen a huge level of interest from, from institutions that can no longer really ignore the crypto space. But my view on that is, you know, crypto has now become quite a large industry and space. You know, you've got anything from NFTs to stable coins to DeFi to smart contracts, you know, all sorts of blockchain technology that's being looked at. But for me, you know, that's why I differentiate between crypto space and Bitcoin. Bitcoin is its, it's, its own beast almost to sort of speak you know the fact that it's uh, sovereign you know that no government or person can can control it the fact that it's finance and it and can't emit more of it there will only be 21 million bitcoin ever mind uh, and then the, the hash rate of the database the power that it has so that mean, makes it incredibly secure so it can't be hacked because it's not new technology anymore I mean, that that combination makes it at least for Zappo, the, the most interesting of all of all cryptos, and I don't think any anything else in the crypto space that you know compares. Yeah, with stablecoin, the technology is is interesting and relevant, and there will be a lot of innovation in the financial services space that will use blockchain technology. But Bitcoin is, at least for me, is about much more than just blockchain technology. It's it's its own type of financial system. That when you merge it with a traditional system, I think it makes it incredibly interesting. So we've always embraced it from, from day one. But like you say, you know, there are many people out there that are still to be convinced. Uh, and that's okay. But I, I think you certainly can't argue that it that can be ignored. It's, uh, it's, it's here to stay. And I think, uh, you know, the financial services space needs to learn how to, um, how to operate within it because it does come with a lot of advantages. One of the things we have seen, the, the big growth markets in blockchain technology, stablecoins, because that has been a huge, there's been a huge adoption rate for stablecoins. And a lot of people, it seems, are demanding payment in stablecoins rather than fiat. So if we combine that with this thing we were speaking about earlier, the whole migration or the, the, the emigration trend that we're seeing of skilled people moving towards wherever it is that they want to live, uh, and they're able to get paid in stable coins, for example, a USDC or a USDT, which are back one to one with the dollar. The advantage, I guess, of having a stable coin is that it's um, you know, it's not being processed through any central bank. It can be transferred within seconds anywhere in the world. Are you seeing this as being something in demand from your customers? Absolutely. We recently launched the ability to to send us uh, USDC from anywhere. And we automatically convert that stablecoin into your dollar bank account, which is deposit guaranteed up to $100,000, pays you 4% interest. So this idea that, you know, you have USDC today, most likely sitting in an exchange, and you go from, you know, being in an exchange where 
it's not as secure because they don't have the same levels of blockchain security that we've invested in uh, at Zappo, given that we were born as a custodian. They don't have the same level of regulation as another bank. So this idea of being able to emit the USDC to a bank that will accept it and only accept it, but turn it into a bank deposit that's deposit guaranteed paying interest is, uh, is a game changer. And uh, to the point that although some people think it's uh, too good to be true, but you know, it's something that we've been working on for the last eight to nine years. Um, and we only obtained our banking license about two years ago. Uh, but like you said before, there's, there's a lot of resistance and challenges that we face from the, the traditional financial service space, but we, we've come a long way over the last few years. And now, you know, we offer a full bank account. You've got a debit card that allows you to access it, spend that money. So we feel that that solves a lot of the problems that we were talking about earlier. The fact that you can get paid in either you know, normal US dollars, but which is much slower. You need a swift payment or an ACH if you're getting paid from the US. And it can take a few days. It's, uh, there's you know, risk that it gets lost in between correspondent banks. It's expensive. You know, a, a wire can cost $30. Or you've got the option of, you know, with one click and in a few seconds, uh, once it gets processed by the blockchain, we receive your US dollars and you don't need to do anything. We automatically put it into your bank account for you. Um, so the moment we launched that, we saw a huge increase in, in demand and, and interest from, from customers. Uh, and if anything, the, the, the challenge that we have is um, it is so new and, and it's so rare for a bank to embrace crypto that, that people almost don't believe that it's real. Do you think the traditional banks understand what's coming? I mean, you're describing something which is fairly radical, fairly revolutionary there. Uh, have they been slow to recognize the importance of digital assets and cryptos and maybe incorporate it into their services like you have? I think, I mean, I, I've lived this you know, personally very closely. I, I come from a background of banking. I've, I've worked in, in big traditional banks. Um, and uh, and then when I moved into crypto, those same banks almost treated me like I was a criminal. You know, you're crypto, you know, my God. Um, so there's certainly this culture of fear um, within within traditional finance. But as as the industries evolve, I think the the level of interest spiked. Now, look, don't get me wrong. There are cowboys within the crypto space, and we've seen the downfall of FTX and and other shenanigans that have gone on. And, and that's precisely why we always look to be regulated because, um, you know, why do people trust banks? They, they trust them to some degree because of their government back and they're regulated. And I think the, you know, those of us who provide services in the crypto space need to understand that we, we need to abide by those same standards of, of regulation. And on that regard, I feel that Zappo is a, is a leader because we've always looked to be regulated. And as far as I'm aware, we're the, the first bank in the world to be able to operate with crypto. So I think for me, it's, it's a trend that would eventually be embraced. But I, I think there is a mix what I've seen within the banks, you know, within some of them, they understand that it's the future, but they also know that it comes with risks. So they're dipping their toes in and they're trying to figure out how to navigate the landscape. And I think there are other banks that perhaps have this sense that, well, you know, this is going to get our lunch, so we need to dominate the market and we're going to come up with our own technology and we're going to take over. And I think it's a little bit misguided. Uh, you cannot compete with Bitcoin, for example, because you cannot create a sovereign coin. It's never going to have the same hash rate power that Bitcoin already has. 
people won't trust the fact that it's emitted by a bank because they will control how much they can issue of that coin. Uh, and you're essentially putting your wealth in the hands of the CEO of that bank. Um, so I, I think that eventually my sense is that there is a lot of stuff in the crypto space that will be weeded out. And that is probably not a bad thing. But at the same time, there's a lot of good stuff in the crypto space that the big traditional banks will will pick up and embrace and, and run with. And, and we, we always see that with innovation, right? There are people who resist and then there are people who pick it up and run with it. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, for example, digital cameras, you know, uh, the, the companies that uh, refuse to embrace digital and, and, and stuck to film uh, died. And those embraced digital did really well. Um, so my view is this, you know, innovation rarely comes from big financial institutions. It's a bit like, think about WhatsApp and, uh, and what that did to the, to communications versus, you know, is that technology that was going to come from the big, uh, telecommunication companies? Uh, I, I can't see it myself. So I think that, that we're seeing a lot of the innovation happening within the crypto community. Uh, and I think that eventually some of the, the best bits of, of that of that effort is something that the banks will need to embrace um, or they risk being left behind. Now, you are regulated in the UK and EU, if I understand correctly, but not in South Africa. You don't have a South African banking license. Are you planning on expanding the number of licenses you have to include South Africa, or is that not necessary? Are you not really looking for customers in this part of the world? So just to clarify, so we're regulated here in Gibraltar, and Gibraltar is uh, comes under the purview of the UK. So essentially, we're regulated to the same standards as, as the UK, which essentially means that we can also passport into the UK. So after Brexit, uh, we used to be passported into Europe, uh, but of course, Brexit uh, killed that. Now, if you think about our license, our license is based here in Gibraltar, and, and the model that we're going for is, is this idea of an offshore model. So, um, and I think the best way to understand it is just think about old school Swiss traditional private banks. You know, back in the 80s, if you were ultra wealthy, you'd probably jump on your private jet, you'd land in, uh, in Geneva or Zurich, uh, and you'd walk into a private bank and, uh, and open up uh, an account. And it's perfectly legal to be South African uh, and do that within, within Switzerland. Well, we're doing pretty much a very similar model where you know, if you're worried about any emerging market currency, so not just in South Africa, but in Argentina, in Lebanon, in Nigeria, you know, any country that is that is seeing either political instability or you know challenges with meeting their debt burden, it's going to have an impact on on your currency and your economy. So, any of these countries, um, the idea of holding dollars is is appealing because it's a safe currency, it's the strongest economy in the world, at least for the time being and for the foreseeable future. So what most private banks offer you is the ability to say, well, look, here is another jurisdiction, another country that allows you to open up a bank account. Now, if we obtain a banking license in South Africa, then that doesn't solve your problem because now that bank based in South Africa has South Africa country risk. So, for example, you know, uh, your South African banks are they're all great banks. They offer great services, but, you know, they, they are denominated in RAND. They're subject to South African regulation and therefore impacted by um, any economic in or political instability that might arise in the country. Um, so this idea of, uh, of having a, an offshore bank account in a different currency that, that moves you away from currency risk and country risk 
is really at the core of our value proposition. So as a result, you know, we, we're not licensed or regulated in South Africa. We're licensed and regulated in, in Gibraltar and, and, and anybody from anywhere in the world can apply to, to be a member. What we do is we look at the suitability of the customer. Uh, you know, make sure that we do KYC and, and everything else that you expect from a bank, but also that they would see value in a, in a private bank. You know, our, our sweet spot is, you know, people have anywhere from, you know, 10,000 to maybe a million dollars worth of worth of wealth. Why? Because if you're earning 4% on, on that account, uh, then it more than covers the cost of, of having that account in the first place. So you're going to see value out of, out of the account. So we're really a savings proposition that people who are just worried about the state of the global economy, inflation, devaluation, I want to sort of put their savings in a in an offshore jurisdiction that is that is safe and and, and is banned by UK law and is regulated to UK standards, uh, as opposed to being at the mercy of, of country risk. And my sense is that we're going to see more and more people worried about what's happening in in emerging markets. Just just purely based on economic factors. You know, the dollar rates are, are going up and the US is still one of the largest importers in the world. So any exporter, which actually means the rest of the world, probably going to have to devalue its currency to be able to, to keep their exports cheap. So from that perspective, I can only see devaluation going one way. And, you know, right now the dollar seems expensive, but, you know, three years from now, you might wish that, that you bought it at today's prices. And, and I believe that the same is true of Bitcoin. You know, if you bought Bitcoin at, at fifty thousand, then if it's gone down to twenty thousand, you feel like you've lost money. Well, yeah, but if you bought it at five thousand, at twenty thousand, you've quadrupled your money. So, I think you know, given the fact that if you have a long-term view on savings and investment, which everybody should, you know, you're trying to make money in the short term over the next two or three months. Chances are you're going to lose money if you're looking at a sort of three to five year view, um, you know, there's never a, a bad time to to have US dollars, especially if it's paying you 4%. And in my view, you know, small allocation of your wealth in, in Bitcoin, it, it would almost be, um, you know, given where, where where the crypto market has come from and where we believe that it's headed, it will always be responsible not to have a small allocation of your wealth in, in Bitcoin. Of course, we're not encouraging anybody to remortgage their house and and, and put all our wealth in Bitcoin, but you know, a, a couple of percent of your wealth in, in Bitcoin is is it's only going to go one direction if you have a five year view. So you know, from that perspective, we believe that we we provide a good offering for for people to to have a safe place to keep their wealth, to to get away from country risk and things that are frankly beyond their control, and at the same time, you know, and also encourage people to. You know, if you can work remotely, if you can have you know, digital nomad work, you don't need to leave your country. You can just earn that currency and, and have it in a in an offshore bank account like ours. And you can do it whether you either get paid in Bitcoin, in, in USDC, uh, or in US dollars. So um, we believe that that makes it a very attractive proposition. For people who do have Bitcoin are they able to stake and earn a return on that? And, uh, and and do you offer custody services or do you require them to self-custody? Good question. So Zappa was born as a, as a custodian. At one point, we were the largest custodian of Bitcoin in the world. And we had uh, circa 900,000 Bitcoin um, under custody. But most of that was institutional. You know, the institutional space was very different. 
it was its own business model. And both the founder and chairman, Wences Casares, and I felt that, you know, the retail space is just much more interesting. Um, because you can change people's lives and, and this idea of solving a genuine problem for people who through no fault of their own, having their wealth deteriorated, um, we felt was, was incredibly interesting and, and pursuing. So we took the painful decision to sort of, you know, sell the institutional business, uh, and focus on the retail space and, and sort of advance this journey on becoming a, a private bank that happened to offer you Bitcoin. But we never lost our technology. So we still have the same technology and same expertise of having had 900,000 Bitcoin in our books for the customers that we have today. So, you know, because we were born as a custodian, we've got capital in Bitcoin. We have one of the largest capital reserves in the world. Because when we started, our original investment of $40 million was predominantly invested in Bitcoin because that's the currency that we were invested in. So, you know, that level of, of investment uh, buying Bitcoin at $100, which was the price at the time, you can imagine that we have large capital reserves, which is not true of many exchanges that you see out there today. So we've got an incredibly strong balance sheet. We've got incredible uh, security and, and custody uh, systems. But we want to be more than that. You know, if we're a private bank, we want to do um, with your Bitcoin what banks do with your with your currency. So any bank you know, earns you yield, with your deposits, uh, and what we want to do the same with, with Bitcoin. So, you know, this idea of, of, of staking, um, it's not that easy to do, you know, if you want to stake Ether or if you want, you know, stake in, in, in the DeFi space, you know, you have to have a MetaMask wallet, you have to worry about security, and it's not that simple or accessible. Uh, it will become more so, but we feel that that's something that, that we can do over time, which is this idea of, um, we, we, we will keep it simple and do it for you. So you don't have to. So when you put your deposits in RAND in a bank account in South Africa, you don't need to worry about staking. The bank does it for you. So, uh, we are to be uh, a private bank that embraces crypto. Uh, we want our customers to trust us that we, you know, we're taking responsible risk. We're earning responsible yields and that we, do, that's part of the service that we provide that we're going to help you do that. So we're not doing that with our customer Bitcoin as of yet. It's, uh, it's on the pipeline. Uh, but we do it with our own capital reserve and we're paying our customers 1% interest on, on their Bitcoins. So to some degree, that's because again, we want to, we want to evolve from just being a custodian and being perceived as a, as a crypto bank. Uh, there's many people out there that call themselves crypto banks, but we're actually licensed in the bank. Uh, and on the crypto side, we're licenses of us. So we're heavily regulated. Uh, and to that degree, we want to create this, this trusted brand in the same way as a, as a bank does. So, so I don't see a world where people can come to Zappo and, and they can then go, okay, well, I'm going to decide where I stake it or where else. Maybe that's something in the future. Right now, we're much more excited about this idea of, you know, how do we do a Bitcoin with a, what a traditional bank would do with your deposit? Um, and do that under risk management framework with the right controls in place, uh, and, and almost take the complexity out of the crypto space for you. Because most people don't know what, what DeFi to invest in or, or what to stake, what not to stake. And, 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 you know, having to become a crypto expert overnight is not everyone's cup of tea. So that's the service that we provide. We do it for you. Okay, a couple of quick questions here as we wrap up. I want to go back to this thing about financial emigration. 
And I, I guess it would be fairly obvious, and there are a lot of studies that come out that I've seen in the last sort of six months showing that countries which have weak domestic currencies, I would include Nigeria and Venezuela and Argentina and South Africa, have very high crypto adoption rates. Is this reflected in your customer profile? And maybe you can give us a, a very quick overview of your, your, your customer demographics. Are they from these countries? Are they very spread across the world professionally? What do they do? Give us an idea. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about our offering, you know, this idea of a, you know, offshore is a bit of a dirty word, right? But uh, that's essentially what it is. We're an offshore dollar bank account that helps you grow your wealth that happens to give you access to that account, either through traditional dollar rails or through Bitcoin, which you can keep secure with us and, and what have you. If you're in the US or in Europe, you have access to dollar accounts, you have access to um, you know quality financial services, and you're probably not as as worried about your your government or the devaluation of, of your currency. So, so our value proposition probably doesn't resonate as much in in those countries, because you've got other alternative solutions, right? Um, if you're in, you know, Lebanon, for example, where government was worried about uh, capital being repatriated out of the country because of you know, political instability and devaluation, that's normally the last resource of governments where they see capital, you know, emigrating their country. They they start putting blockers on what people can do with their money. So what are the countries where that's been the most prevalent? Well, those that have been in financial trouble. So you, you name them, you know, Argentina's got hyperinflation, Zimbabwe has got hyperinflation, Venezuela had hyperinflation. Now we've seen the same sort of similar pheno uh, phenomenon occurring in, in Lebanon and, and Nigeria. So it's a repeating pattern. You know, when, when governments get desperate, they start to think about how do I put a stop to capital uh, immigration or financial immigration, as you guys call it in South Africa, I take control over the deposits because I can't afford for that capital to leave the country because otherwise my currency devalues. So my experience and what I see from our customer base is that in you know so-called first world countries or economies, dabbling in crypto is almost akin to gambling. You know, I go to an exchange, they offer 500 coins, the price moves up and down, and I'll take a punt on what I think might be the next big thing. And Hopefully the price goes up and I might make a little bit of money. But if you're in one of these countries that we just talked about, getting your hands on, on, on Bitcoin or stable coins is life changing because your wealth is, you know, through, if you've got hyperinflation at 100% like you have in Argentina, every day your, your wealth is deteriorating at a pace that you just can't keep up with. So you're almost encouraged to spend your money because tomorrow is going to be worth a lot less. So as a result, you know, even though the price of Bitcoin is highly volatile, it's still a better offering than your local currency. So, you know, what we're seeing with our customer base is it's mostly emerging market dominated. That's where all the interest comes from. And the highest demand comes from the countries where uh, this phenomenon is, is at its peak. So you name them, you know, Argentina is one of our, you know, uh, big uh, customer bases. We're seeing... You know, over the last few weeks, we're seeing our, our number of applications for for membership from Nigeria skyrocket. So, you know, we see that trend constantly. The moment governments start to get entangled in stopping capital migration from the currencies because of inflation or political instability, 
we see a big rise in applications from, from those countries. The challenge that we have is that obviously being a dollar denominated account, we have to comply with KYC and AML requirements. And we can't always serve uh, all of these countries because, you know, the, the, the risk of, of opening up accounts for those countries is, is incredibly high. And, and, you know, some of our correspondent banks uh, get nervous about that and don't allow us to, to serve them. But, but again, that's a little bit of the sort of preconceptions of the traditional financial services industry. There are people with genuine needs in these countries that through no fault of their own are seeing their wealth either eroded or in some cases confiscated and controlled by the government. And, you know, cryptos, or at least Bitcoin, I feel, solves that problem. So having your wealth stored somewhere that you trust, that at the click of a button, you can you can move your wealth and not have to worry about uh, it being manipulated or controlled is is life-changing for, for these markets. So I think, like I said earlier, we're going to see more of this over the next few years because I can't see anything but, you know, recession in many markets and inflation being rampant and, and a lot of control. Uh, the war in Ukraine and, and Russia doesn't help. I think even within Europe, you see Germany as the only real economic powerhouse that has to almost subsidize the rest of the EU, for lack of a better phrase. And now they're going to have to think about how the, you know, even when the war is over, how they're going to repair all the damage that's done because it's right at their doorstep. Um, you know, the UK post-Brexit, I can't see them having an export economy anymore. The economy is not strong enough. So they've just announced that they want to become the, the sort of the next Silicon Valley because they want to, they want to grow their, their financial services industry and, and their uh, technology economy before it gets too eroded. So, you know, China is a closed government. You can't get your hands on you and uh, if you're outside the country. So that only really leaves uh, the US dollar and Bitcoin as the only two currencies that you can trust long term are going to protect your wealth compared to everything else. So as a result, you know, that's why our offering is focused on those two currencies, because to some degree, you already have a local bank that can, you know, allow you to transact in your local currency and do your own domestic uh, payments and what have you. What we offer is a uh, is a protection of wealth and, and a savings proposition to, for you not to have to be at the mercy of whatever is happening on in politics and, and, and global uh, economics that you would kind of neither control or do anything about, uh, but that might keep you up at night. So, uh, I think that this trend is, is only going to go in one direction and we're perfectly placed to, to capitalize on it as a flight to quality and a flight to safety. You mentioned uh, you got a lot of in inquiries from Nigerians. What about South Africans? Have you got South African clients? We do. We have some uh, South African clients, and the uh, the list of members is 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 ever growing. And you know, we I find it fascinating. You know, watching the the load shedding and, and everything that's going on there. And you know, if I was in South Africa, I'd, I'd be worried. You know, that that load shedding is going to be having an impact in uh, in your ports, in in your exports, in in the trust of investors uh, from outside the country in that country. So uh, I can understand why, you know, this idea of financial immigration and all the topics that we've discussed are, are top of mind. And, and yes, as a result, we, we are seeing people that are applying for membership. All right, Seamus, final question. What do you think the banking sector is going to look 10 years from now? What's it going to look like? So can you see it looking digital? You know, if you think about how we onboard customers, it's a fully digital experience. You can pretty much do it from anywhere in the world. You know, we 
we use IP addresses and geolocation to make sure that you're not you know, fraudulently opening up a bank account from Iran or or a sort of you know OFAC sanctioned country. Um, but other than sanctioned countries, if we can serve that that customer in that country, you can onboard in, in ten minutes uh, fully digitally from your phone. You just need a passport and and, and what have you. Um, and I think you know as as the transfer of wealth happens from baby movements down to, you know, more than likely going to miss my generation, I'm generation X, it's going to miss my generation and go down to millennials and below. You're going to see people that grew up with the internet, that grew up with mobile phones in their pocket, and they're just used to everything being available with a few clicks. So that's why you've seen the rise of fintech and wallets over the last, you know, 10 years. And I think, you know, the big banks know this. That's why they all invest in fintechs and, and in technology, um, you know, the big banks, that it's change is challenging. They take, a lot of their technology is 40, 50 years old. So how do you advance? How do you compete? So my sense is that many of the big banks that will still be around will be those that have adopted digital. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised that it been 10 years um, in the same way as nobody would have expected Amazon to take over the way that we shop online and move away from, from going to stores, I wouldn't be surprised if a similar thing happens with banking, that the sort of the big banks in 10 years' time look nothing like the banks that we know and love today. Um, so I think, you know, the, the future is digital um, and a little bit more borderless than it is today. You know, people want control of their money. They don't want to have to wait three or four days for their money to get from A to B. They want to do it at a click. Um, they want to be able to onboard quickly and effectively onto onto their platform. They don't want to have to go into the bank office any and, and even less so if, if you're, you know, a little bit affluent. You don't want to have to go into the banking office and, and the private suite and, and, and what have you. You just want it done quickly and effectively. So I think the banks that embrace digital services uh, and a new technology will survive. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see sort of new competitors in the market that, that kind of surprise us and, and take over some of those traditional banks because they are, uh, you know, sort of born digital rather than trying to create a digital platform from archaic ancient systems and processes and, and what have you. Seamus Rocker, CEO of Zappo Private Bank. We're going to leave it there for fascinating discussion about this modern revolution that's happening in the traditional banking space and, and which is bridging over into blockchain and cryptos. I want to thank you very much for joining us on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.